Thank you so much, Bennett and the team. We appreciate that. I'd like for you this morning to take your Bibles, turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 10. If you've ever found yourself in recent weeks, months, dealing with relational tensions, challenges when it comes to the various people or groups of people that God, for whatever reason, has allowed to enter into your life, Here's a passage of scripture that I think is going to provide us with a lot of biblical wisdom and perspective to be able to manage these relationships well. But to do it, we've got to be willing to submit to God's word, don't we? And ask God to speak to our hearts and where necessary, perhaps even convict us from various aspects of sin so that we can honor him in a way that truly pleases, pleases our Lord. So Second Chronicles, make our way to chapter 10 as we continue in this series. In the Chronicles, the Kings and the Chronicles, I'm going to read verse 1 down through verse 15. When you get to verse 15, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because you're going to get to the focal point, the centerpiece of this entire chapter and the issues that are surrounding the people of Israel. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Naboth, heard this, he was in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and all Israel went to Rehoboam and said, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, come back to me in three days. And so the people went away. But then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father, Solomon, during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. Well, they replied, if you will be kind to these people, please give them a favorable answer. They will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. And he asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, tell the people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I'll scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said. Come back to me in three days. The king answered them harshly. Rejecting the advice of the elders, he followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I'll scourge you with scorpions. Now the key verse. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from God. To fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah, the Shilonite. 
So there's some rich instruction, guidance, wisdom to be found in these verses. We want to be able to get our arms around them and see how it relates to modern day life. We're going to do that by looking to God first in prayer. And Father, I want to thank you for those that have been leading us in the musical aspect of worship so far. It's touched our hearts. It's engaged our minds. Thank you for the way you've brought us into your presence through, through their gifts. And I want to thank you, Father, for the people of this congregation. There's a great love for Jesus here. We want to be able to go deep into your word. We want to go far with your son. Far into eternity. We want to be able, Father, to be able to drink deeply from the wisdom that's found here through your written word. So, Father, we're, we're hungry and we're thirsty. And so, again, we're praying that as you warm these hearts of ours and engage these minds of ours, we confess to you again now that we've come here to see Jesus, him only. We're praying these things still again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you look at the portraits of these two men that appear on screen? Look very carefully at them. One of them, President Andrew Jackson, would be to your left. The other, Vice President John Calhoun, to your right. Now, what fascinates us about their relationship was tensions that distinguished their time together. The year was 1830. The setting was the Browns Inn Queen Hotel. The purpose was a gathering of political leaders to honor the memory of Thomas Jefferson for years, four years, He's been dead by this point. But you see, political leaders love to get together and celebrate, don't they? And so here they are. And as they've gathered together, what you and I have got to bear in mind, even though we are at this point 31 years from the Civil War, there are fissures, there are fractures in the foundation of the nation as represented by these two men. 24 different toasts are being given at this gathering. Now, John Calhoun, tall, brilliant, handsome, yet rather stern by nature, represents the idea that each state had the right to decide if if Congress's laws were constitutional or not. 24 toasts have been given before we get to the point where President Andrew Jackson now stands, and people were watching him fume over the ideas being toasted. The president rises to his feet. So does everyone else. Martin Van Buren, a smaller man, reminds us of a modern-day Zacchaeus, climbs up on a chair to be able to watch and observe a future president. As the man that they would call Old Hickory, Andrew Jackson himself, the president, 
raises his glass high above his silver hair, glares at his vice president, John Calhoun, and says very clearly, our union, it must be preserved. They say that Calhoun's hand shook and some wine trickled down his arm, but he was undaunted. He rose to give his toast. The union, next to our liberty, most dear. And with that tense twofold toast, which had occurred between a president and a vice president, some 31 years prior to the beginning of the Civil War, people would look back upon that time period, that episode, that experience, and be able to point to the fissure, the fracture, the signs of breaking which were occurring in this union. When you and I look at the passage now that we are examining today, I want you to look at the fissures, the fractures the breakings which are occurring in this Israelite union and ask ourselves what principles can we apply personally, relationally, geographically, nationally, globally that would relate likewise to the issues that you and I are facing in this critical hour. Now, we said that verse 15 was your focal point. It is your crucial text. It's going to be the lens through which, by which, we're going to be able to understand what's happening here. It has to do with the Word of God and how it reveals the work of God. And what I want to do with you now is look very carefully at how God's Word is operative in these verses and how He's to be operative in in our lives and draw three significant areas in which God's Word relates to the situation then and to the situation we find ourselves in today. And the first, we're going to phrase like this. The number one, God's Word gives us perspective regarding the simmering conflicts that God's people face. Now, what I want you to do is to ponder the various times, past, present, and most likely future, where not only conflict has or does occur, but what was simmering prior to. As we now pick it up in verse 1. Now, Rehoboam, who, by the way, is the son of Solomon, who is the grandson of David, Rehoboam, he goes to Shechem. He has just been anointed king. Now, when you and I look very carefully here, you and I are beginning to sense in verses 1 through 5, there's tension in the air. Let me just read a little portion again. In verse 2, Jeroboam, son of Naboth, heard this. He was in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. You feel the tensions? He returned from Egypt 
they sent for Jeroboam, he and all his Israel, and went to Jeroboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us. But now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we'll serve you. And notice Rehoboam's response. He answers, come back in three, to me in three days. And so the people went away. Now I'm going to draw out three significant lessons out of these 15 verses to get us started that teach us how to manage these simmering conflicts that tend to arise in our own personal experience. Notice, first of all, that you and I are called to time your response wisely. Time your response to those producing conflict wisely. Now, as Rehoboam heads northward to Shechem, you and I have got to ask ourselves a serious question. Why is not Israel, the tribes of the north, coming down to Jerusalem to coronate to king Rehoboam. Why is Rehoboam heading northward away from Jerusalem? Jerusalem's the capital. Not Shechem. Let's put a map up on the screen. Examine what's happening here. There are two areas circled. There's Jerusalem, positioned right near the Dead Sea. Forty miles or so northward is Shechem. It was a place where Abraham had had positioned himself in Genesis chapter 12 after hearing from God, had been receiving the word of the Lord. Now, what Rehoboam finds here is that those people to the north are not interested in his coronation. So he's going to have to go up there to be acknowledged king. Out of this little geography, you and I already find a concession being made. And very typically, what you and I find is that where there is relational conflict, national conflict, global conflict, what is lurking is a combination of concessions and conditions. This king is already making a concession. The tribes to the north are not willing to come down and recognize him as king, so he's going to have to go northward to be acknowledged as king. He goes to Shechem. All the Israelites had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, some Naboth, heard this, he was from Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. Feel the tension from the prior generation? He returned from Egypt. He's got, he's got some political perspectives. They sent for Jeroboam, and he and all Israel went to Rehoboam, and here's what he says to him. Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Now, whenever anybody sets conditions down, consider the source of the conditions. This is Jeroboam setting down the conditions. Jeroboam, who had fled from Solomon, headed off to Egypt. Jeroboam, the one who had been told by a prophet that he would receive the ten tribes to the north, all in due time. Jeroboam, he's now on the scene. Rehoboam, the one recognized to be king of the line of David, is standing there face to face with Jeroboam. And as you and I watch this conflict beginning to develop, in the midst of conflict, what I want you to look for are conditions 
and concessions. Rehoboam, the king, is making a concession. He's going to Shechem. But he's gone into the land where Jeroboam has clout, power, popularity. And Jeroboam is going to lay down some conditions. Now when you and I are examining conflict, of course the greatest example is at the cross of Jesus Christ. In the midst of the conflict, biblically, look for concessions. This is what Rehoboam is utilizing. Look for the conditions. This is what Jeroboam is emphasizing. And ask yourself now, what needs to be done? Rehoboam at this point wisely says, I need three days. And so in verse 5, he says, come back in three days. And the people, they went away. Never underestimate the small conflicts and how they can cultivate, develop, expand into larger, major developments. Those of you that have traveled out in the Dakotas might know the story of how smallpox once devastated a particular Indian tribe, the Mandans. You know how it started? Small beginnings. 1837, there's this epidemic that breaks out among the white traders on the board of St. Peter's. While the board is docked at, boat is docked at four o'clock, believe it or not, the Indian's chief simply stole a blanket from an infected deck hand. The officers tried to get the blanket back, trying to protect their tribe. But the chief refused, claiming it is now his blanket. In about three days, the Mendons began to become sick until hundreds were dying each day. When all was over, only 30 Mendons remained of a tribe that once numbered 1,700, all because a blanket was stolen. Lesson, huge repercussions can come from what seem to be such minor incidents. Never underestimate a minor fracture, a minor fissure. Rehoboam has a sense here. There's a history behind all this. Rightly so. Because when he goes northward towards Shechem, he's moving towards the most hostile of the tribes, the tribe of Ephraim. The Ephraimites were known to have a chip on their shoulder. Gideon had a deal with them in the book of Judges, where they complained about not having been at the forefront when Gideon had led his troops into battle. Throughout the years, the Ephraimites tended to be a thorn in the side of the leadership of Judah. Here's Jeroboam. Know the history behind the conflict. Understand the conditions that are being set, combined with the concessions being made, and never underestimate small beginnings that can have such large repercussions. Think Mandarin Indians, you know. So you look at this. Time. Time your response wisely. Give me some time, Rehoboam says. 
But make absolutely certain then that you invest that time, not waste that time. Examine the people, examine the motives, examine the history, and ponder the repercussions of the conflict. Here's the second lesson flowing out of verses 6 through 11. Evaluate your counsel discerningly. Not all forms of spiritual counsel are biblical counsel. Is biblical counsel. Now notice in verse 6, King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father, Solomon, during his lifetime. Remember that it was in the era of Solomon that there was such spiritual erosion in the land. And these elders were in fact the ones that were the consultants, the, the leaders, the cabinet, if you will, of King Solomon. Consider the source of the counsel that's given. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if you will be kind to give these people and please them, if you be kind to these people, please them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But notice that's a concession. In order to establish a condition. Now hold that thought about the older leaders. And now look very carefully at the counsel of the younger leaders. Rehoboam rejected the advice in verse 8 the elders gave him and consulted the younger men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we, and I've circled we, because evidently they were well connected, he and them. How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? Notice the reaction, the response. The young men who had grown up with him replied, tell the people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them my little fingers thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I scourge you with scorpions. Two forms of advice. One has the, has the whole sense of time. The older. The other has a sense of the timely, the younger. Which is the better counsel, I'm asking? Read on. If you look very carefully here at what's being said, what you and I see here is that there is going to have to be a need to evaluate, evaluate the counsel, ponder the instruction, Examine very carefully what it is that God would have us do in such a situation as this. So evaluate your counsel discerningly, but now thirdly, offer your intentions constructively, verse 12 to 15. Now question, is this constructive or destructive, what he's about to say? He's got his teleprompters ready, looking at the people. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said. Notice that Jeroboam is mentioned here. 
You could feel the tensions in the crowd. The king answered them harshly, rejecting the advice of the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I scourge you with scorpions. And then this vital passage. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from God. To fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. Back to that question. Who gave the better advice, the older generation of counselors or the younger? I would argue, neither. Neither group sought God. They did not seek God through his word. They did not seek God through prayer. They did not seek God. The older group thought that this would be the politically savvy thing to do. Make another concession. They had the argument of time. But the issues in the midst of conflict are not, is this going to be measured by time or is this going to be measured by truth? They have time on their side, but they've allowed truth to escape the population of the Israelite people. They have not been seeking God through all those years as Solomon has turned the nation to other gods. It may look politically expedient, but where's God in this council? The younger generation, they haven't sought God either. They're saying, now, what's in it for us? What's in it for you, Rehoboam? It's we here. We can gain. if There will be a short-term loss, but perhaps a long-term gain for us. But the question is, where's God? Have you noticed very often that God is screaming in the silence? We may opt for the politically astute approach, the organizationally wise approach, and yet push God out to the periphery and fail to seek him through prayer, through his word. Offer your intentions, present your intentions constructively without having sought God, we position ourselves destructively. Now look carefully at verse 15. The king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from God. In the Hebrew, it carries with the idea of a twist. A twist in the road. God has produced a twist in the road. A turn of events, and had been delivered based upon what he had prophetically already proclaimed through Ahijah, who had told Jeroboam, you would get the ten tribes to the north. If you're traveling in Europe, there's a modern picture by Stanley Berkeley that's entitled The Hidden Danger. It deals with an interesting event that occurred during the Battle of Waterloo. The battle 
It decided the fate of Napoleon, upon which hung the destiny of Europe. It pictures two opposing armies, Napoleon's and Wellington's. It's a crucial moment. Now, throughout the day, Napoleon had kept his famous cavalry in reserve. They were known as the old God, you see. Never known defeat. Held back to the strategic moment when they would be unleashed upon the opposing party. Now, it seemed as though the British forces were being thinned down, so now Napoleon is about to go for the kill, and so he releases the old God. He gives the order. And the picture, the painting, creates the scene. On they come, seemingly invincible, but there's a dip in the road and a slight twist in the road. A sunken part that Napoleon's forces nor officers knew about, but which Wellington had taken advantage of by filling it with his sharpshooters. As the old guard lurched forward, the firing began. They waver, regroup, move forward again. But the fire was deadly. And when the lines got to that point, their force was spent. Waterloo was lost. Fate of Napoleon and Europe, was decided by a slight dip and twist in the road. A hidden danger on which Napoleon had not counted. Look very carefully at what God's doing here. The king did not listen to the people for this turn of events, this twist in the road, was from God. Always measure the work of God with the Word of God. God not merely watches what's going on. He watches over what's going on. He does not merely watch you. He watches over you. In other words, the promise of God is executed by the providence of God in our daily experience. If only Rehoboam had taken time with his advisors and said, let's review the Word of God. Let's examine the works of God. Let's ponder the people of Israel and the history and the issues pertaining to Ephraim to the north and Judah to the south, and let's see if we can't build something together that's biblically sound and spiritually astute and honors God in the process, but none of the above as the silence screams and inattention to God's will. Oh, man. Rehoboam, if only you had processed some of the Proverbs of your father. Like chapter 15, verse 22. Check this one out. A man finds joy in giving an apt reply. And how good is a timely word. He took time, but he didn't process truth. 
in the midst of tensions and conflict, it's very important we blend together time with truth. He took three days, but he didn't process the truth of God's Word or seek God through prayer in the midst of those three days. He simply looked at what was politically and relationally expedient. He didn't ponder what was God-honoring. For the heart of the righteous weighs its answers. Allow for biblical truth to weigh on the heart. The mouth of the wicked gushes evil. As Rehoboam stares at them and talks about, see this little finger? They're pondering the visual aid. My father made your yoke heavy. I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I'll scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from God, you see. What do you do with that? Once the breaking is taking place and the fracture is becoming more pronounced, Well, here's a second area where God's Word has got to be applied. The number two, God's Word gives us perspective regarding the difficult consequences God's people experience. Verse 16 down to verse 19. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, now I want you to notice the pattern of their their statement. They answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, O Israel. Look after your own house, O David. What's the pattern? They find themselves in direct opposition to not merely Rehoboam, but Rehoboam's grandfather, David who received the promise of God of the eternal kingdom that will usher in Jesus Christ. Did you spot the pattern in the midst of the conflict? What share do we have in David, not in Rehoboam? What part in Jesse's son? That's David. To your tents, O Israel, look after your own house, O David. Rejecting the promise of God regarding the Messiah creates a tremendous division among the people of God. So much so that all the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. The fracture becomes more pronounced. So now, Rehoboam now is on his heels and he's trying to figure out, how can I regain lost ground? Have you ever been in a conflict where you're wondering, how do I regain lost ground? Now he's going to try for a diplomatic approach. But question the wisdom here. Rehoboam sent Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor. He's the very symbol of oppression. He was the one that was overseeing their conscripted labor in the north. He's sending him to serve as a negotiator? 
He was the one in charge of forced labor. Look at the reaction. The Israelites stoned him to death. Now, King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot, escape to Jerusalem, saying, I should never have gone to Shechem. I should have demanded that they'd come here. Now the writer adds this historic perspective. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Small beginnings. Notice then the difficult consequences God's people experience when they fail to follow the Word of God where you and I will be able to process the wisdom of God. So how do you respond to people who are in rebellion, who are in conflict, who are in tension, where the fractures and the fissures are occurring? Dr. Jerome Walker of Brooklyn told of the time of how President Lincoln once walked through a particular hospital with him at City Point. Quote, Finally, after visiting the wards occupied by our invalid and convalescing soldiers, we came to three wards occupied by sick and wounded southern prisoners. With a feeling of patriotic duty, I turned to Abraham Lincoln and said, Mr. President, you're not going to want to go in there. They're only rebels. I'll never forget how he stopped me, laid his large hand upon my shoulder, looked me in the eyes and answered, you mean Americans? There was nothing left for me to do after the president's remark but to go with him through these three wards. And I could see that he was just as kind, his handshaking just as hearty, his interest just as real for the welfare of those in the South as he was for the soldiers of the North. How do you respond to the person who creates the fissure? So now how is Rehoboam going to respond? It's the question of the Allah. So in chapter 11, verse 1, Rehoboam arrives in Jerusalem. Home. What does he do? He mustered the house of Judah and Benjamin, 180,000 fighting men to do what? make war against Israel and to regain the kingdom for Rehoboam. And did you notice now the king of Israel is waging war against Israel? And now you are beginning to be offered subtle comments here that the ten tribes to the north are going to be referred to as Israel and the two tribes to the south will just simply be named Judah. Deuteronomy chapter 20 warns a king against waging war against his own people. Leads us to this third observation now. God's word gives us perspective regarding the necessary restraint God's people need. Ever been prone to retaliate? But then a verse 2 breaks in of chapter 11. 
But this word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, and all the Israelites in Judah and Benjamin. This is what the Lord says. And here's the scriptures again. Here's the word again. Do not go up to fight against your brothers. Go home. Every one of you. I've underlined what comes next. This is my doing. So they obeyed the words of the Lord. Do you do that in the midst of conflict? Turn back from marching against Jeroboam. Sometimes because of our sinful nature, what we need is a heavy restraint simply placed upon our souls by the Holy Spirit to keep us from acting out on our inclinations. And that's God's grace. He took the initiative of producing the restraint, you know. Say, look back at verse 4 of that 10th chapter. Do you remember the conditions in the light of the concessions? It was Jeroboam. And remember, consider the source. Your father put a heavy yoke on us. But now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us. We'll serve you. That heavy yoke. But you see, there will come a time where there will be this descendant. This descendant of David who comes from the line of Solomon. Who comes from the line of Rehoboam. Who will look at his people as king at a later juncture in his personal experience. And all of a sudden, Matthew chapter 11 leaps to our attention, verse 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary, burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. It's the king talking, you know. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. People in the midst of simmering conflict, relational tension, seek God. His word his wisdom, his will. And you'll find that the yoke fits. And you'll be led in the direction you need to go. Let's stand together. There are some here who feel a heavy, heavy yoke Could be a family member. 
could be a neighbor. Could be someone in the workforce. It could be the the mood, the aura of this nation. And God's people have got to turn to the Lord, to seek Him, to know Him, to love Him, to seek You in prayer, to seek You through Your Word, to not buy time so much as to apply truth. And lo and behold, in the midst of these challenging days, we're able to say the yoke fits and you're giving me direction for my life. So Father, I pray now for each and every one, no matter what it is he or she is facing, keep drawing them to Jesus. Get them to focus upon the King of kings, Lord of lords. Remind them the yoke fits. And may we seek you and you alone in your glory and honor. In Jesus' name.